Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 183rd edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, an information technology, cybersecurity, and digital forensics firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Our topic today is lawyers hopping aboard the AI train and is gathering speed. Our guest today is John W. Simic, the vice president of Sensei Enterprises, Inc., He is a certified information systems security professional, certified ethical hacker, and a nationally known expert in the area of digital forensics. Sensei provides legal technology, cybersecurity, and digital forensic services. John has co-authored 18 books published by the American Bar Association. Thanks for joining us today, John. It's great to be here, Jim. Let's start off with this rousing topic of ours. Why has there been such a wild and crazy increased interest in artificial intelligence as it pertains to lawyers, John? Jeez, and here I thought you were going to say it in the voice of Steve Martin. Um, <laughs> I could have if I'd used the AI. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, yeah, there has been a, a huge and sudden increase here, at least in the last several months. But, you know, AI has actually been around, as you know, for a long, long time, primarily with a big, a really heavy usage, you know, in the discovery world for years. And it's actually baked into a lot of products that, you know, as opposed to standalone. So a lot of folks kind of like the cloud, right? They didn't know they're using the cloud when they really were. A lot of folks, I think, are, are actually taking advantage of artificial intelligence and in, in what they're, they're working with. But they just don't know it. They just don't see it. That's there. That radically changed with the introduction of, of ChatGPT in, in November of last year because it's a standalone product. And it's free. So pretty much open to everyone. Very effective, very easy to use. I know you, you play around with ChatGPT, Sharon, you know, multiple times a day. But, but other, others have also jumped on that as, as again, standalone or, or at least augmented products like Microsoft and Google and there, as well as many, many others have introduced their version. But I really think, you know, to, to answer your question, why the sudden increase, I think a couple of things. It, it's the FOMO, right, the fear of missing out. Because everyone's talking about it, so it's kind of like you know streaming videos. Oh, geez, I need to I need to get on this bandwagon, and so everyone's is, is really really interested in it. But I think one of the biggest reasons is that it, it's it's freely available to the masses. It's so so accessible, and that I think has really increased the the interest and the popularity. Well, let's kind of begin at the beginning of this new tool. Can you explain generative AI to our audience? I'm not an expert in that, Jim, and I'll, I'll try, but I'm not going to get into a lot of the propeller head stuff. But, but essentially, generative AI, it's a, it's a type of artificial intelligence. It takes text, images, audio, et cetera, and, and generates those in response to prompts. It recognizes patterns, and it makes predictions based upon those patterns. So they've given it this ton of data in order to train it. The key thing, I think, for folks to understand is that it actually creates new content as the output. It's not merely a regurgitation of, of information like, like a search engine would be, right? When you do a, a search, it returns back, if you will, segments of, of what it discovers. It's not that. It's actually new content. 
and it continues to learn as it as it creates more and more of this content. ChatGPT is one of the more famous ones. Obviously, it's it's by OpenAI. It's a large language model. It generates human-like text. DALI is is also OpenAI. It generates text and artwork and, and images from text prompts. And there are many others that are out there like MidJourney and, and, and DeepMinds. The underlying technology, though, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, going through this because that's what that's what the engineers deal with. But there's there's transformer-based models like ChatGPT, and that's actually what the the GPT stands for is generative pre-trained transformer, and it runs on a neural network for for natural language processing. There's generative adversarial networks. That's the GANs. Those are the same things that are used in deep fakes, where you have two neural networks the generator and discriminator that compete with each other to, to generate the output. And there's other, other technologies, you know, that are available out there to, that are actually being used as part of all this generative AI. But I think the, the key thing for, for most folks to, to remember, to think about is the new content portion and that it's massive, massive amounts of data that are accessible to the AI. And it's extremely, extremely fast given the amount of data. So that's the, that's the takeaway from, from that. It's so fast. I know when we lecture on this, and we seem to lecture on it all the time, when I gave it a hyperlink because it didn't have information that was current, and now it can go out to some hyperlinks, it went out. I had the full body text of answer in three seconds. I mean, three seconds. It digested everything and had an answer for me. That is really blinding speed. Another thing that we talk about, John, as you know, is our friend uh, Andy Perlman, the dean of Suffolk University Law School, and he is quite fixated on what AI means for access to justice. So what does it mean, do you think? Well, I think that, you know, there's some controversy around that. I I really think it it does increase the the access to justice. I'll cover a couple of the the actual responses that ChatGPT, you know, gives. So if if you ask ChatGPT, you know, what does artificial intelligence mean for access to justice? It'll come back with, with several bullets, several points of them, some of which are, you know, legal research and answers for those of limited means is one thing. Document review by, by AI can reduce the cost of legal services. Chatbots and AI assistants can provide basic legal information to those that don't have access to legal services. Predictive analysis could help those, with, you know, without lawyers make informed decisions about, you know, what their legal rights, you know, are. And then overall, I think it's going to make, and ChatGPT agrees with this, is, is we'll make legal services more accessible, efficient, and affordable. Really by, by lowering costs, making things more, again, more efficient. But I think the, the key thing that for a lot of folks to realize, at least in my opinion, is that those folks, and I, I know we've heard Andy say this as well, is people that who normally wouldn't contact a lawyer, they're more likely to to use something like a chat GPT to gain access to legal services. Call it, I, I know, Jim, you're big on the, the people law thing, but kind of like the DIY stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's where, and also that it's going to help lawyers because they can be more efficient and be more accessible to clients. So I think overall, I really do think that it's going to, to increase the access to justice. Some folks, though, they, they would argue that it, it actually reduces it. And I have read some of those things because it doesn't, you know, reduce expense. With what their argument is, is that, well, geez, you know, now we got to pay for technology. The lawyers do, and therefore they're not going to reduce costs. They're going to actually increase costs. I don't buy that argument, but it is out there. <laughs> 
Well, and I think where it's really going to work, John, if we ever had a court that would annex some of this directly to the court. <laughs> so the answers would be coming from a more authoritative source, if you will. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, no, I'm, 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 we, can, we can dream. <laughs> uh, not in its present form, I'm yeah. not so sure, Jim. <laughs> well, I understand. I, I more meant like making the court's data about dockets and hearings and whatever all available. Oh, so that, yeah, yeah. That could yeah, be incorporated yeah, yeah. into the answers. <laughs> That's a good good segue for for some of that because that that's the predictive analysis thing that that AI is very good at. Yeah. Back to your other comment, how can AI be used in the delivery of legal services? Well, you know, as I said early on, artificial intelligence is is really baked into a lot of the products now. You know, through APIs, et cetera, it's part of them. And because it's the it's the hot new you know shiny penny, everyone wants it, and they're incorporating it in their products. But it can be used in you know legal research. Document assembly and, and and review. I thought it was. I'll tell a, a quick story for that, and I, which I thought was was really pretty cool. Actually, it was a colleague of ours, uh, Sharon and I were at a at an event the other day, and he said that he's he's got this you know research assistant paralegal that really does a, a really really good job on getting the core legal concepts down of things, but not real good about you know assembling, if you will, documents. You know whether it's a brief or you know some sort of argument. And so what he does is he anonymizes that code or whatever her, she types up in her research, replaces names with placeholders and that stuff, right? So you don't have that client confidential data, pumps it into chat GPT and, and basically says, make it better. And it does a really, really good job of that. So thing, things like that, right, I think are really, really good for AI to do. Contract reviews, right? That can be used for, for that. Due diligence, online dispute resolutions. One of the things that's near and dear to my heart, since I'm a testifying expert, is AI being used for deposition questions. And I could really, I said, wow, that's, I hadn't thought about that and said, oh, you know, if, if a, if an attorney's not real familiar with a particular subject area, this AI could really help them, you know, educate them or whatever and come up with some really good deposition questions. And then that predictive analytics stuff, Jim, that, that we, we started, started with, and, and we're talking about the, all of that data, that historical data that's out there about courts and judges and the rulings and predictions can be made now. Sharon knows, I, I, I call it the legal odds maker. It's like, what, what are your chances? What are your chances of winning this case with this particular judge, with this particular matter in this court? And one of these days, I bet you it's going to say, you know what? Tuesdays are better than Thursdays. <laughs> I, seriously. I mean, it's given historical data, it's going to give you some confidence level, right, of what those are. But what, what I think a lot of lawyers don't, they don't realize that when they talk about, you talk about using predictive analytics you know, for court data, is the consumer isn't dumb and they're going to begin taking a look at historical data for lawyers and what is their success rates. And they'll be doing those same kind of models and saying, geez, which lawyer would be potentially better for my case? Well, that's interesting, John. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures— 
all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is lawyers hopping aboard the AI train and its gathering speed. Our guest today is John Simic, the Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. He is a certified information system security, certified ethical hacker, and a nationally known expert in the area of digital forensics. And I think we'll just leave it there. He's also my husband. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, John, you know, again, when we lecture, I talk specifically about the hallucinations that I have seen with respect to AI. But, of course, a lot of people still are not familiar with the hallucinations. So if you could explain that to them and go ahead and feel free to re-quote me on (laughs) on the things that have happened to me that have been very disquieting. Yeah, I think well, and I and I've seen it as well. I don't use Chat GPT, you know, nearly as frequently as you do. But hallucinations is really an, it's an industry label, and it's it's put upon things when when the artificial intelligence makes stuff up. And I don't know why they call it hallucinations. I don't know why it isn't called something like an algorithmic screw up. Or, or why don't you just call it a plain error, right? I mean, but but no, it's 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 labeled hallucinations, and it's really it's things like where links that don't work. It could be link rot, you know, where they're vaged out or whatever. Articles that were never written, it makes references to those. The answers can be plain wrong, as ChatGPT in particular is not real good apparently at doing math, where where others are. I think when you when you look at AI in general, the whole purpose of it and directionally where it's going is to try to make it more human-like. And humans do the same thing, right? They make things up to sound more convincing. They say it confidently as though it were true, right? And that's what AI does. So I think I think even though they call it a hallucination, you know what? It's really more human-like. I mean, <laughs> and to add to the list that John gave, I've seen it make up books that don't exist, make up articles that don't exist. I've seen it make up cases that don't exist. Lots of other lawyers have experienced the same thing. So, you know, we're all looking at it saying verify, 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 because you can't believe no matter how confident the AI is, you've got to verify what it's telling you. Yeah. And I want to tell a quick story, though, and you've heard this, Sharon, about being a victim. Of, of what these hallucinations, you know, can be. And there was a criminal defense attorney whose name is Jonathan Turley, and a UCLA professor asked ChatGPT to cite five examples of sexual harassment by professors at American law schools, along with quotes from relevant newspaper articles. So that was his prompt to ChatGPT. The response that came back returned, one of the entries was concerning Jonathan Turley. And so this UCLA professor emailed Jonathan, and said, did you know that ChatGPT says that, you know, you were part of an alleged 2018 incident as a Georgetown University Law Center professor accused of sexual harassment by a former female student? And it actually quoted a Washington Post article 
that and said that the article said the complaint alleges Turley made sexual suggestive comments, attempted to touch her sexual manner during a law school sponsored trip to Alaska. Well, none of that was true. And, <laughs> and Jonathan, when he heard this, he went, what? He's not a teacher at, at Georgetown. He's a teacher at George Washington University. And I'll quote what Jonathan said. It says, it invented, ChatGPT invented an allegation where I was on the faculty at a school where I never taught, went on a trip I never took, and reported an allegation that was never made. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so that is, you know, a hallucination on steroids, let me tell you. <laughs> John, I believe they call them hallucinations because the chat GPT believes them. Is that like a binary psychedelic? Is that what you say? That's right. <laughs> John, I got one quick story since you shared what I would have shared. Our practice management, Julie Bays and I were teaching at a day-long seminar in a courtroom, and we taught a session on chat GPT, and she was showing, and other tools, and she was showing how to script will take an audio recording, it'll make a transcript for you, and then you can remove all your errs and ums and all that kind of stuff because it identifies those for you. And if you'll give it a sample of your voice, it can actually put your voice in there. And when Julie mentioned that, and I didn't bother to program my image in here, give it the data of you know hours of my image or whatever, she said, but it would do that too. It would edit that too. And the two judges in the audience both threw up their hands and says, how do you catch that? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, probably yep. with an expert, but this is just the early free version. We'll see what we have in a year, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, the fabrication of evidence. Yep, yep, that's that's a big problem. Yep. <laughs> Are there specific ethical AI products intended for the legal profession? <laughs> Yeah, there are. And, you know, as I said early on, Jim, there's, there's, everyone's jumping on the AI train. There's, there's this, this huge, you know, massive movement to make sure that it's incorporated. So the short answer is yes. We don't have time, and I don't know them all to, frankly, to mention all of them, but systems like Harvey, which I know Sharon's very familiar with, based on OpenAI's GPT technology, GPT 4, not, it's not actually ChatGPT, but it's legal specific. And some major law firms are using that. Lexus just announced, I think it was a week, week and a half ago or whatever, that their product, Lexus Plus AI, where they're, they've got kind of a, the way I understand it's kind of a sandbox, if you will, of a chat GPT environment. So it's more controllable to try to address some of the privacy issues and those kinds of things. But other products that are out there like, like Case Techs, Fast Case, I mean, Fast Case has been using AI for a long time you know, in, in their research stuff, you know, Kira for, for, you know, due diligence as well. A lot of the practice management products now, as you're aware, are, are integrating AI, you know, into their, into their products. But there's many, many more. There's a lot of, a lot of legal products now that are, that are using artificial intelligence. And if they don't today, you know, stand by because they will pretty soon. <laughs> are there specific security concerns, John, that lawyers should have when they're working with products such as chat GPT? Security and privacy, yeah, definitely. You know, the accuracy, you know, piece of it. You know, confidentiality, the data that, you know, what happens to that data that you give these these AI systems? It might be discoverable, as an example. Who has access to it? You know, now, recently, OpenAI implemented the ability to no longer save your chat history, so you can turn that off and not have your, your prompts being used for training purposes. They do hold it for 30 days so that they can review it for abuse, and then they, they delete it. But, you know, who, who might have access to that data during that 30-day period? And what if you put client data in there? Have you asked your clients, you know, for, for permission to, to use that, that information and, and pump that in there? 
There's, there's also concerns about intellectual property and copyright, potential copyright infringement. You know, the argument obviously is that, well, chat GPT and systems like that, it's not a human being. It's a, it's a machine. But, you know, that's, that's certainly a, a legal battle that an argument that, that's, that's going to be hitting the courts. But security wise, yes, because the cyber criminals are going after chat GPT and, and systems like that, the artificial intelligence, because they know how powerful they are. So it's, it's kind of that cat and mouse thing. <laughs> you need to be concerned, certainly with the security, with the access of it, and, and the data, I think, primarily. Today, it's the data. What data do you give it, and, and what happens to that data? Any other concerns you can think about besides security that lawyers should have when working with AI? You know, I mentioned the confidentiality, you know, thing. That's big. I Be very careful about what you give it. Uh, even if you've turned your chat GPT, you know, the history, turn that off. That's one of the reasons, Jim, why, why products like the Lexus product and, and those other ones that are legal specific, that they, they have the walls and the, the, the rules, if you will, set up to isolate that so that you're not going to contaminate, if you will, you know, other people's, you know, areas, work areas and those kinds of things. So I, I would be more comfortable in using those products for lawyers as opposed to if you are using a, an, an open system like a chat GPT system, you know, or, or, or Bing, you know, Microsoft's or, you know, Bard or Google systems, certainly you want to make sure that that data is, is anonymized or you're not giving client data, if you will, into those open type of environments. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is lawyers hopping aboard the AI train and it's gathering speed. Our guest today is John Simic, the Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. He holds a lot of certifications, including being a certified ethical hacker, a nationally known expert in the area of digital forensics, and he is my husband. I hope by the end of the night that's still true. Um, <laughs> John, uh, we, we do give each other a lot of grief, but that's part of the fun. Okay, what is happening or not happening with the regulation of AI, both here and in Europe, which has become a very interesting yeah. phenomenon? Yeah, it's, it probably wouldn't surprise a lot of folks, but you know, the EU is way out in front and they, they typically have been way out in front. They've been out in front with, you know, the whole privacy thing and the whole GDPR. And then, you know, and it, it seems to be that it goes EU, California, then other states, and then nothing happens. Federally, <laughs> isn't that isn't that the, the chart uh, that's the way it close. looks? That's close. <laughs> and and the same is is true in AI. EU is way out there in front. Several years ago, they put their guidelines together and their rules, if you will, about artificial intelligence and transparency and and all this kinds of stuff. And they had that out there, and then just this past December, they amended those regulations and rules. 
and pass those. And so, you know, the way I describe it is that the EU is on version 2.0 already. They've already had the first generation and amended it. And here in the federal government and, you know, U.S.-wise, I think we're at like 0.01 or something. I don't know. (laughs) You know, John, we thought they were going to indeed pass those, but they did not. They ended up in some amount of disagreements and, and they are still have not currently signed the new proposed law. The last word I had, which was this morning, was that they were shooting to sign it in June. Now, they're still way ahead of us. They got a law they want to pass. The EU, yeah. Yeah, the, the EU, EU. you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even they got kind of derailed by disagreements about various things. And so, but they're still way ahead of us. I just wish we'd appoint a czar of something of this because we don't have anybody in charge. But I don't know that that would solve anything. You know, you know, frankly, I mean, as you know, the, the White House, they issued a blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights back in October, and that hasn't taken any traction. But I, that blueprint really addresses five principles, which is very similar and almost identical to what, what the EU you know, has. Safe and efficient systems, algorithmic discrimination protections, they talk about data privacy, notice and explanation. That's to get rid of the, some of that, you know, that the, the black box kind of things. And then human alternatives, considerations, and, and fallback. In other words, if, so, if it messes up, you know, what are you, you going to do with it? That's the principles. But I don't, I really think we're in a similar position, Sharon, than, than what, where we are with data breach notifications, with privacy, et cetera, is that the states are taking the lead. I mean, they're, they're tired. They haven't. Our own government hasn't done a heck of a lot. And so they're taking action and they're passing their own laws. So I, I don't know. I, I don't hold a lot of hope, if you will, for something uh, federally coming out when it comes to regulating AI. <laughs> As you guys have discussed, I've been getting a lot of calls from lawyers about AI and chat GPT as well. So let's close with what many lawyers have identified as the most important question about AI. <laughs> Will AI replace lawyers? <laughs> It probably doesn't surprise you, Jim. Everyone has an opinion. Uh, <laughs> I, I say no. I, I don't think so. I believe AI is going to help lawyers be more efficient and produce a better, more consistent product. It's unlikely, highly unlikely, I think, at, at least in, in my lifetime, our lifetime, that AI is going to replace that human factor. You know, there are certain things that the human being is, is capable of doing that does, you know, even in the practice of law and that, that touch points. AI can't replace that. And it, it's more likely, I think, that, that lawyers that, that are utilizing the AI or artificial intelligence and taking advantage of it, those lawyers are going to be the ones that are going to replace those lawyers that don't. <laughs> uh, really, I think that's true. It's, AI, I think, is here to stay in some form or fashion, you know, with regulation or without regulation, it's the trains left the station and we need to get our arms around it. We need to do some guideline, you know, et cetera, but, but it's not going away, bottom line. But I, I, I just want to, I want to close with one, one thing to remember and, and Sharon knows this, you know, well, is it's a quote from our, our friend Ed Walters, the CEO of Fastcase, when you're dealing with AI, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I think that question is about to be answered in spades. Yep. 
<laughs> well, John, we certainly thank you for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on the Digital Edge podcast. So it's fun. And of course, AI has been an obsession for us since everybody seems to want to have some sort of a, a webinar or session on AI and what they can do with it and what they can't do with it. And I think we've done about a dozen and we have about two dozen <laughs> scheduled in the future. So the interest is so intense. I've never seen a subject lawyers have become so enraptured with and really want to know so much about. So I really thank you for all the information you gave the audience today because a lot of this is still new, as we say all the time, and I know you're always saying it. This is what we know today because yep. tomorrow yep. something will have changed. Let me think a minute. It was about April 24th when we did the last PowerPoint, and we looked at it yesterday after we gave the PowerPoint, and we said to ourselves, you know, we've got to redo the PowerPoint already I mean, in two weeks. I mean, the PowerPoint has to be substantially redone. And that's how fast this is moving. So thank you for taking us on the train because it is speeding down the track. And that's a fact. So we really appreciate your time and effort, John. Well, thank you much. It's, it, it's always fun to be with you guys. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us an Apple Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.